Hi everyone, I'm Eleanor and you're listening to Sweet Deviation, the podcast designed to help you navigate, organize, and get creative while living with ADD. In each episode, I'll share personal stories, tricks, and insights that I've used to break through daily challenges. And together, we will lean into the diagnosis and stop fighting our natural tendencies. Hello, and welcome to episode two of the Sweet Deviation podcast. I'm guessing that if you survived episode one, you have done a couple of things. First of all, uh, you might have confirmed that you have ADD, because if you were able to follow the ins and outs of my storytelling, then it might ring familiar for you. And if it didn't, then you're likely not here, because I had to listen back to that first recording and Even I was surprised at the level of my ADD that was on full display. So anyhow, you can't make that up. If you were wondering whether or not I was just somebody that was talking about something I wasn't familiar with, well, that should be pretty clear evidence that I do, in fact, have ADD. So that aside, I wanted to talk about a couple of things after I heard that first playback that I wanted to address. And one of the things was, I mentioned that I was going to talk to Jim first about I wasn't sure if I should tell y'all that he has ADHD. And after I heard myself say it, I thought, well, that just doesn't make any sense. Jim also wears eyeglasses, but I wouldn't ask permission. Even when he wears contacts, nobody would know that his eyesight isn't perfect. But I wouldn't be ashamed or feel that he might be embarrassed of people knowing that he wore glasses. So the more I sat with it, I thought, see, therein lies the problem. We need to change our idea about what it is to live with ADD. And really, to be honest, a lot of mental health issues. We have carried the stigma and shame of it. And I can tell you personally that it has been something that I have lived with my entire life. And I'm going to get into a little bit of my background because I want this to be a very authentic place. And the best place to get there and that I can gain your trust is to be open and honest about my personal story and struggle. And I think that it makes the success even sweeter, right? When you can see that, man, you came from that and you're still okay. And I am, I'm still kicking. Um, So that was the first thing. Let's not shame it. He has ADHD, big deal. He also wears contact lenses because his eyes aren't perfect. Apparently my executive functioning isn't perfect. It sounds horrible, doesn't it? When somebody says it that way, what a defect. But in reality, the, the things that we're told that people with ADD or ADHD, um, you know, we're, we're kind of pegged as lazy or unfocused or disorganized. Those are all things that the societal construct that we've come to, we're accustomed to it, right? This is what we're expected. And I've taught kindergarten, so I remember that distinctly, the importance that, you know, everybody do the same thing. And I was fortunate when I taught kindergarten in New Mexico years and years ago when my kids, in fact, my set, my son wasn't born yet. Our administrator was really great because she believed very strongly in multiple intelligences. Really, we all had to stretch. We taught math by singing, by dancing. There was, you know, the physical touch, the counting and making clay balls and all of that stuff. And I mention it just to say that We are making progress, but the progress is slow because I taught kindergarten 20 plus years ago. And I'll tell you that from hearing friends talk, their kids are still being put in one lane where you have to sit, you have to be quiet, and you have to do the assignments like a teacher has told you to do. And most likely that teacher doesn't have ADD. So anyhow, that's a little bit of, of my opinion about that. Let's treat it as it's just 
another thing like eyeglasses. No big deal. All right. Now, I wanted to cover the second thing that when I heard myself say it, I cringed a little bit because I thought, ugh, I would never want anyone listening to think that I was calling them mad. Um, This is what has made sense for me. I do think it is a brilliant madness. I wouldn't change my ADD for anything. I really wouldn't. I think it gives me a great deal of inspiration. And I can tell you I'm not boring. At least I don't bore myself. I could be hard to handle for sure. I mentioned my old boss before, so I'm not saying that it's perfect for everyone, but I am a a little bit of a beautiful mess here. So um, I want to talk about where that originated for me. I had heard the, and I'll probably mispronounce this, so you German, fluent German speakers will surely get in touch with me, but I did listen to a recorded um, how to pronounce his name before I came on because I'm really trying not to mess it up. But Frederick Nietzsche... I was told I would always say Nietzsche. Wrong. Anyhow, his uh, he has a, a quote that's always resonated with me, and I and I have had it in my office for years and years and years, and I carry it with me as a reminder. And it is those who hear not the music think that the dancer is mad. And it resonated with me because I never felt there was anything wrong with me. When I was a little girl and I would get lost in faraway places and just daydream. It was an escape and it was a beautiful thing for me to experience. And I felt sorry for everybody else who didn't want to sit in a tree and pray that a bird would land on your hand. I mean, those are the things that I did. It was just kind of a whimsical, magical thinking. But I did, in fact, wake up one day and and decided that was going to be the day that I was going to summon the animals to me because I was so in tune with nature. I was young. I was like six years old or so. But I did climb into a tree with a handful of peanut butter, and I sat in that tree. And my, my sister, she may not remember it now, but boy, did I ever get teased, and her friends took turns teasing me. And all I can think of is, you fools down there, you know, doing ordinary things, and I'm at the cusp of something really amazing. So I have always felt that way. And it doesn't translate. I, I, I get that. There are times when our ideas may not really resonate with anybody else. And even when I share ideas with people who have ADD, it still isn't their, their jam. But I want us to be true to ourselves and to know that it's not a madness that is bad. It's brilliant. And, and it is a little mad. So that said, I just want you to know that I I don't intentionally say that to be offensive or hurtful or insensitive to anyone. And maybe I revisit it and consider changing my opinion about that. Maybe um, I've done that in a lot of ways where I've kind of revisited an idea and made a pretty significant change about it, as we do. All right. So the topic for this week, as I mentioned uh, in episode one, that I was going to talk a little bit about how we get to this place where we're just discouraged and we feel like we can't finish anything because we're so unfocused. And especially if you've not been diagnosed, like I had not been for 50 years, I just thought there was something really, really broken in me. And it wasn't until uh, I, like I mentioned, I did get a diagnosis just a few months ago in the middle of this pandemic, and it's given me a great deal of time to sit with it and really kind of sort things out and, and just be kind to myself. You know how hard it was to get through some of the, the challenges that I had, and I've learned along the way to do things that would help me. But in my case, and I, I, I won't get into it in detail now, but intend to in, in other episodes, there are so many different types of ADD and ADHD. It's not a one-size-fits-all. And in my case, 
apparently it's kind of a limbic system situation that I'm dealing with here. So I tend to have more introspection and even sadness as opposed to the hyperactivity that that Jim enjoys, quite honestly. And I do too, because he just keeps me in stitches all day long. But um, mine, you know, and I don't, I just don't know if it was entirely chemical when I was young, but I'm going to give you just a very brief, like, boom, this is, this is my life. And I don't like to to harp on it because I really have put it behind me. I have to tell you, I am finally at the place now where I can say all of this without having any hooks, like, in me. But when I was very young, I was the youngest of uh, five children, and we lived a pretty ordinary life. You know, my, my mom um, was a, a, a thriving composer. She did great things. She had a, just a beautiful way with words, and she could write music and, and lyrics that were pretty spectacular. Now, she only spoke Spanish. Well, she spoke some English, but she wrote only in Spanish. And um, she had her struggles. I don't know that my, I know she didn't graduate high school. I don't know that she made it past the eighth grade, but I'm not certain about that. And my father was a firefighter, very good looking, strappingly good looking man. And I think that because he was the oldest of his siblings, he had a real strong sense about himself, a real, he has a presence when my dad walks in the room. And being the youngest of uh, five, it was my brother Max and four girls, of which I am the youngest, I just kind of got lost in the mix, I think. And I was epileptic. I started having seizures when I was about six months old, is my understanding. And it has been, for me, kind of a shame, like, I just was not good enough or not right. And whether or not they'd agree to it, I have to tell you that my sense was always that it just, I didn't have a place in that family. And uh, it became increasingly hard after my brother Max, my, son, my, my parents' only son, passed away in a motorcycle accident. Uh, I was nine. He was 17. So it was a really pivotal time in my life. It was tragic. Um, my parents drank more than they had before, which was considerable. They fought more, which is an understatement because truly they had fought quite a lot before. Um, and my life was just more turmoil. I have brief glimpses of like my mom singing as she was hanging out sheets in the backyard. Those are happy memories, but very, very few I don't have very many before my brother died. And after that, it was just a huge mess. My whole family fell apart. So you get a sense that it's just not an easy life. You, I, I was introduced to death rather early. And um, shortly after my brother died, my parents divorced, My, which is typical. Obviously, I'm not telling anybody shocking news here. But what was different in my case is that first my dad left, and then a few years into that, you know, setup where we were living with my mom and she increasingly began to, to drink and was never really out of her depression, which I don't really blame her. Um, she just never could get back on her feet. You know, it was my dad who had the good job and had the good, better education. And my mom had none. And um, she couldn't really pursue her music anymore. And she had lost her son. So one day we just woke up and she was gone. And there was never a goodbye, and there was never any kind of explanation. So as a young child, you tend to feel like maybe you hadn't done enough, you know, to keep them home, which is, again, typical. But in my case, my father, um, 
remarried after that. So long and short of it, I basically lived alone. Uh, my older sisters were married and off having kids by then. And my uh, the second youngest sister to me, she and I lived in that house alone. So it was kind of a, it was horrible. I'm not going to lie to you. And I had more time because my sister was just so strong. She, she'll tell you she's never been sad. I don't, I think she's been angry a lot, but sadness is not something that she's ever dealt with. And I was so sad. And I could just hear myself telling myself the same stories over and over. And because I loved stories, and that's how I see my life. I see my life as a story, which is not uncommon for people with ADD. Um, I really kind of wallowed in the sadness of it. And it became kind of a comfortable place where I lived. And I did that. And I fought it through college. I fought it through my first marriage. And I really just, well, having kids was amazing. I loved being around them, but there was still always a shadow of not good enough that followed me around. And I was more than happy to invite it in and make it coffee and kind of wallow with the, you know, not good story that I was so good at telling myself. And so that's what I wanted to talk to you about today. I'm learning now that it's not uncommon with a lot of ADD and some ADHD tendencies to be so hard on ourselves and we fixate. And I can't say what it is for anybody else, but for me, it's this terrible loop and it just keeps replaying, replaying. And even if I try, I cannot get out of it. It's um, a really difficult thing to convince yourself that you're not broken. So what I've learned in the last few months, it has been extremely helpful to me. And I'll tell you, there have been uh, years and years of collecting books that I, I thought might help me to get to a better place mentally, because God knows I tried to be a good Christian, and I just knew that the Lord was going to fix this for me. And, and it happened to not be the case. When my first marriage fell apart, I just had no hope in it. And since then, my mother has passed, and and it was just like kind of an emptiness. And I really had to find the solution for myself. And what I found was the truth. I could really stop and ask myself, is this true? And so one of the things that I discovered was that I would tell myself I had these negative thought patterns. And if I could identify them, then I could start to argue against them. And I happen to be very good at arguing, by the way. Not arguing in the sense that I like to pick on fights because I don't, but I am. Uh, I did. I, I debated in college and I was rather good. So it helps me in that I can be kind of separated from the the situation and look at it objectively and then really give a very compelling argument against it. So one of the examples might be in the case of somebody who has ADD. You might tell yourself something like, I'm not focused, or I never finish anything. I'm a master of none. My work is unimportant. You know, it might be something else. Like if you've not been able to follow through on a workout regimen that you've promised yourself for the last 10 years that you would. I'm fat. I'm not significant. I'm a failure. I've never had success. I'm a phony. So those are things that, that I have told myself. And so the example that I would share is that when I can look at that and really put my finger on the things that I, the negative self-talk, break the loop and say instead, is it true? Am I not focused? Could I say instead, I love that I have so many interests? Could I say that 
that makes me interesting. I'm also able to focus on tasks and create beautiful art. And my focus on details shows in my work. And I take time to finish the tasks that I love with great detail. I enjoy precision. I enjoy the process. And I'm pleased with my work. And so when I can sit down and argue the idea that I'm not focused, it really is empowering. So in the case of, you know, I haven't worked out or I've not lost weight, I can say I take care of myself and I'm toned and fit and I have been working for years and the effort continues to show. So though I've not reached the place of perfection, which I'm not certain that we're really any of us um, ever there, no matter how fit we are, I think that it helps us to designate that space for this is what I'm telling myself. And is it true or is it untrue? And there are some cases where it may be true. There may be something that you're feeling that is, that is true. And then you have to work out a plan for how do you get past this place where you have kind of hit a brick wall. So another thing that I do is I'll have a list in a notebook is how are you feeling now? And I do some, you know, daily check-ins, regular check-ins, especially if I know that there's going to be a big event, uh, someone's coming over, or I have a client that I have to meet with. I will do a check-in, you know, how am I feeling now? What are you telling yourself now? And then I see, is it true? Then I identify those thoughts that trigger a sadness or an anxious feeling. And it's that feeling, for instance, a fear of failure, that I can say, you know, that's my trigger. My trigger might be, I don't think I'm going to be good enough, or somebody wants to to make this thing for them. And I don't think it's good enough. So then I have to remind myself, look at the history of it. When have I done something like this before? And it wasn't the end of the world. I have even had somebody buy a, a pot that I had made, and came back later and said, Oh, no, no, it was no good. It broke within just a few days of having it. And I really took that seriously. And I asked them, can you please show me a photo? I'm happy to make, you know, to send you the replacement. And interestingly enough, no matter how often I asked for the picture of the broken pot, they could never send it. So it really opened up the idea to me that maybe the pot didn't break at all. And they just wanted another one. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, because we never did resolve that. I ended up not hearing back from this particular customer. So, um, What it allowed me to do, though, is to remind myself that there have been a lot of pots that I have sold that I didn't get complaints on, that people were particularly happy with them. So you have to argue against that loop negative self-talk that you're you're in. And uh, what you can do is help yourself to take notes of it. So if you are ever in a spot where you think, yeah, I don't have any success, go grab your success notebook. It's on the best days that we can really note what is working and what is not, right? It's on the days that we think like, man, this is a great day. We should take time to write those things down. But what happens generally is that we'll focus on the things that didn't go well and then ruminate on those. So I don't have a lot more to add. I did say I was going to try to keep these episodes right under 20 minutes, and we're approaching that now. So what I'm going to say is that it's important to allow yourself that space to honestly stop the loop, ask yourself, is it true? And if it is, then fix it. Find a plan, make a plan, and we'll get into that in in weeks coming. But If it's not, argue against it. Argue against it like your life depended on it, because it does. 
And in the end, as you'll see with these podcasts, I don't beat myself up. Sometimes I ramble, and that's just who I am. I make no apologies for it. Well, okay, I do apologize a little bit. <laughs> I don't want to lose anyone here. But it is also part of the imperfection that makes me who I am. And that's what I want you to embrace for yourself. It doesn't have to be perfect. It's you. So that's good enough, and it's good enough for me. So I want you to release society's confines of what they expect for us. Know the truth of us. We're inspired. We're creative. We're dreamers. We're innovators. All of those things are true. And embrace that. And when we come back in episode three, I would like to talk about changing our core beliefs by using coping cards. So I won't go into that now, but join me in episode three so we can go look at some ways to cope with some of that negative self-talk. Uh, and in the meantime, if you are so inclined, go to the show notes. You can find those at sweetdeviation.com. There's a link to the directory and look for episode two to find notes about how we're going to be honest with ourselves and change our truth and the misbeliefs that we have about ourselves. And until next time, I appreciate you being here with me today. And remember, it's not always a lack of focus. Sometimes it's an intentional sweet deviation.